0: Good morning. morning. If we haven't had the pleasure of meeting yet, my name is Zach, and I'm proud to serve as one of the pastors here at Covenant. Uh, We're going to hear from God's Word this morning from the book of Romans, and so I invite you to turn there. Romans chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 14. You can follow along on the screens as well. Here we go. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. This is God's word offered to us the people of God, and for that we give thanks. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you're here. Thank you for the sound of the rain that reminds us we have a God who rules over the storms. We're here, Lord. um, Help us to be attentive to your spirit, to what you might have to say to each one of us specifically. Lord, I ask that you would bind my tongue and my lips, that no false word would pass from them, uh, but that it would actually be you speaking through your Holy Spirit, that you would come and speak truth into our hearts for your glory and our good. We pray this, our faith comes in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So in American culture, um, your status comes from what you've done in your life. Uh, We're trained to glorify, you know, the self-made, like, rags-to-riches story. Someone who starts at the bottom, starts poor, uh, works really hard, overcomes all kinds of obstacles, and arrives at this incredible, like, uh, you know, pinnacle of of wealth and success. And we're taught to glorify this kind of status, this kind of rags-to-riches story. In biblical times and in in cultures uh, that were present in the Bible, it wasn't so much about who you are. Your status wasn't about who you are. Your status was more so about whose you are. Who is your dad? Who is your grandfather? Who's the patriarch of your family? Who's your mother? Who has cared for you and raised you? And, And there would be this Uh, inheritance that's passed down to heirs from generation to generation. So if you found yourself with great status, great wealth, it's probably not because you had some incredible success in business uh, or in life, but it's probably because your father or your grandfather or your great-grandfather even was someone very special and you then get to live in their, uh, following in their coattails, if you will. To take that a step further in Roman culture, uh, which is the recipients of the letter that we read from this morning, not only is your status not from, about who you are, but whose you are, uh, but there's this uh, concept that we read in Romans 8, this concept of adoption, and believe it or not, adoption was actually a really big deal in Roman culture. And here's why. In Roman culture, your estate, your family estate, could only be passed down through a male heir. And medical uh, development, medical technology, medical science wasn't as far along back then. And so it was much more difficult uh, to survive as a little kid in ancient Rome. Uh, And so with the survival rate not as high, you'd have all these rich uh, politicians in Rome who are needing an heir so that their estate, their family estate that was passed down to them from generations could continue and that they wouldn't be the one who's responsible for like ending the status of the family, of the patriarch. And so they would adopt someone into their family if they couldn't produce a male heir. They would adopt a son into their family Uh, And a rags-to-riches story wasn't about a self-made hardworking person, but it was about someone who was born into a poor family but was adopted into a rich family and then inherited a new name, a new estate, and a new status. Uh, Imagine if you're this poor child who's adopted into this family of great status and wealth. The first time you're walking around the house and you're like, man, all this is mine. All this is mine because of who chose to bring me into their family. It'd be amazing. You you might feel like a bit of an imposter, but after time of living in this family and being loved uh, and nurtured and raised up by this family, you'd finally begin to believe it. This is all going to be mine. This is my inheritance. Uh, Growing up, I our, our family had some very dear friends um, and the, the father in this family his name is Mark and he was the first like adult that I would have called a friend as a kid. Uh, he is such a kind man and he really poured into not only his kids, but his kids' friends. And so he poured into me all the time. And, and uh, he's responsible for a lot of who I am today as a, as a Christian and as a man, as a uh, father and husband. And Mark uh, and their family, they were a little more well-off than our family. And here's just a tip. This is free. If you want to have wealth, don't have 10 kids. Don't have ten kids if you want to have wealth. So we were we were poor. That's my way of saying we were poor. And uh, and so Mark, he's a very generous man, and uh, he would always take us out to dinner as a family, um, and and really just pour into us. If we went over to their house to hang out with the kids on a Saturday, it was like you know the whole experience: Top Golf, Saltgrass Steakhouse, like the works. And uh, he also, as a perk of his job. He had season tickets to the Houston Rockets and the Houston Astros. Uh, I am a huge sports fanatic, and especially basketball. I love the Houston Rockets. And Mark would take me to two or three Rockets games pretty much every year. And uh, we always had really good seats. One day, though, I remember this game in particular. He uh, asked if I could get there an hour early and I said well sure I'll show up an hour early and so I show up to the game and we walk down to our seats because you know we, walk, we didn't walk up to our seats we walked down to our seats and like when you're sitting down the players are you're looking up at the players from your seat and, um, and so we walk down to our seats and we sit down and we're just kind of chatting catching up on the day watching the players warm up for a minute and then Mark stands up and he's like, here, let's, let's take a walk. And I was like, okay, kind of strange, but I'm in. And so we start walking and he's heading towards the tunnel, you know, the tunnel where the players come in and out uh, onto the court. And I'm starting to become very excited and, and a little nervous because I'm like, are we going to go back there? And there's lots of security guards. I don't know if we belong here. Uh, and we walk into the tunnel Rockets players are, like, running out of the tunnel past us to come warm up, and we're just walking in, and I'm like, this can't be happening. This isn't real. And the security guard just, like, waves and smiles, and, and we walk in, and we come to this big set of doors, and over the doors, it says Lexus Lounge. And uh, we walk in, and we walk into the Lexus Lounge, and the Lexus Lounge is a wonderful place. Laughter It is. It's a wonderful place. Uh, It's full of incredible food. Uh, It's got TVs everywhere showing all the NBA games that are going on, including a shot of the court where the players are warming up. Uh, But we don't stop there. We keep walking, and we turn down this hallway, uh, and we come to another door, and outside the door there's a plaque. And on the plaque, it has the name of Mark's company. And my eyes began to bulge as I realized what this means. We have our own room within the Lexus Lounge at the Rockets game. And he takes me in, uh, and there's a waitress in there, and she says, "You know, Good evening, Mr. Jacob. How are you? Who'd you bring? Who's this? And he introduces me. This is Zach Anderson. Good evening, Mr. Anderson. Can I get you a drink? Uh, come make yourself a plate. There's like a buffet of food. There are these cookies that are like huge Soft, gooey, amazingness. And uh, it was just this incredible experience. And we would go back to our seats, but I could go to the Lexus Lounge anytime I wanted. And being a 16, 17 year old boy, that was often because I was really hungry and I had a high capacity to consume food. And I would just walk back there and flash my wristband, and I could just go right into the room. And I could go into the room because I was with Mark. He brought me. I'm with Mark. Yeah, I I belong here. I'm with Mark. Oh, yeah, yeah, me? Yeah, I'm with Mark. Yeah, I belong here. And so in Romans chapter 8 here, we have this concept of adoption. Being brought into a new family a new place of belonging, a new status. And in Romans 8, this concept of adoption is contrasted with slavery. Romans 8, 15 says, The Holy Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And so, when we hear this slavery versus sonship, we're reminded of the story of the prodigal son. You remember the story we've been talking about at the last two weeks, and the younger son, when he goes off and lives his life of rebellion and sin, and he winds up wasting his whole inheritance, and he has nothing, and he comes to a realization, even the servants, the slaves in my father's house, have it better off than me. Maybe if I go back And I tell my father, I'm not worthy to be called your son, but at least can I be a slave in your house? Then maybe I can be brought back in. And so he goes home planning to be a slave. And when his father sees him a long way off, his father drops everything and runs out to meet him. He embraces him. His his son says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And his father says, shut up. Quick, servants, bring the best robe in the house. Put my ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. My son who was lost is home. And he doesn't even listen to the the confession of his son. And he reinstates him as a full child in his household. Then we come to the part of the story, Act 2, where we meet the older brother. And the older brother was very different From his younger brother. He was not a bad guy who would just go and waste everything. This guy was responsible Uh, and he worked hard. He did everything that his father asked. He was a very good person and so when his little brother comes home and he gets to get back in the family, the older brother is like, what's the deal dad? I've done everything for you. I've always obeyed you. I I take care of the whole estate. And yet this son of yours who wastes everything, you're just going to welcome him back in? What's going on? And the thing about this story is that just as the bad deeds of the younger son separated him from his father, the good deeds of the elder son separated him from his father. And here's why. The younger son said to his father, give me my inheritance. You're worth better. You're worth more to me dead than alive. I just want the inheritance. I don't want you. And the elder son, he said, I'm working, working, working every day to earn my inheritance from you. You're better off dead to me than alive. I don't want to come inside and celebrate with you. I just want what you have to offer me. I just want the inheritance. And so ultimately, this is a story of mercy. Because the father offers mercy to the son for his evil deeds. And he also offers mercy to the older son for worshiping his performance trying to earn his position as a son. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, Younger sons must repent of the wrong that they have done, while elder sons must repent of the reason they ever did anything right. The reason they ever did anything right. And so this is a story of mercy, and we're meant to identify with the characters in this story. And so whether... Whether you're receiving mercy for the idol of pleasing self, or for the idol of self performance, or both, we all are in need of mercy. You know, we call this story the story of the prodigal son, um, and this is a man made title. Uh, God didn't write that title in the Bible. The Bible didn't come with titles or chapters or verses, by the way. Um, and so man has christened this story the prodigal son. But I think that title falls short. You see, the word prodigal, it actually doesn't mean like rebel or sinner. The word prodigal means reckless or wastefully extravagant? Reckless or wastefully extravagant? And so while the younger son was prodigal, he was reckless with his inheritance. He was wastefully extravagant with his inheritance. He spent it all on prostitutes and high living. Who is more wastefully extravagant The younger son or the father who offers mercy and unconditional love, lavishing his love upon a son who can do nothing in return. This investment of love, it's not because the son, the younger son, can do something to make the father's life better. It's not because he did something to make the father's life better. The father just chooses to love his son in spite of himself. The father's love is prodigal. It's wasted. We might say it's wasted on sinners like us. And yet he's pleased to lavish it upon us in wastefully extravagant fashion. And even though this story has a father whose love is so magnificent, there's still a missing character. Jesus leaves someone out of the story on purpose. If you'll remember, Jesus is sitting with a group of Pharisees, students of the law, and a group of sinners. And he tells them these three parables to help them understand this is what God is like. This is what the kingdom is like. And the first parable is the parable of the lost sheep. And there's a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and one of them runs off, and he leaves behind the 99, crosses hills and valleys to find this one sheep and bring it home. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, there will be much celebrating in heaven when one sheep is found. And then he tells the second parable, and it's a parable of a woman and her 10 coins. And she loses one of her coins. And Jesus says, when she loses her coin, will she not search everywhere throughout the house, behind furniture, under rugs, cleaning everything until she finds her coin? And when she finds it, will she not invite all the neighbors, come celebrate with me, I found what was lost. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. When the lost become found, And then he enters into this third parable. But this third parable is missing a character. You see, the first two parables each had someone that chased after the lost sheep or the lost coin. They went out to find them. And this story doesn't have that character. In this story, yeah, the father does run to his son when he sees him coming, but he doesn't go out to his son in the midst of his lostness and bring him back, there's a missing character. Readers of this parable, uh, they're often brought to the conclusion that mercy is free, and mercy is free for the recipient. Otherwise, it's not mercy. The definition of mercy is receiving something that you don't deserve. If you did something to deserve it, it's not mercy. It's something that belongs to you. You paid for it in some way. So mercy is free for the recipient, but mercy isn't free. No, mercy comes at a great, great cost. In the parable of the lost sheep, the shepherd is the one who willingly... Pays the price of going, risking his own life to find this sheep and bring it back, to offer mercy. The shepherd pays the price of his mercy. So, who has to pay the price for the younger son's mercy in the story of the prodigal son? You want to take a guess? It's the big brother. It's the big brother. You see, remember that concept of the estate, the family estate that passes down. Well, in this culture, the inheritance, the estate, the firstborn got two-thirds of the estate, and the secondborn would get the remaining third. And so when the younger son said, Dad, give me my inheritance, he received one-third of the estate, and he left, and he wasted all of it And so if he's going to come back and be a son again, he's invited back into the inheritance and the older brother, his big brother, has to share what's left of the inheritance with him to reinstate him back in. He has to pay the price for the mercy the younger son receives. And he hates it. The older brother in this story hates it. He's so angry He says, this son of yours, he won't even call him brother, he wasted everything. He doesn't deserve this mercy. And Jesus does this intentionally. He does it intentionally so that our hearts might feel our own need for someone else to pay the price for our mercy. And Jesus is pointing to himself. He's pointing to himself. In Romans 8, back to Romans 8, Paul says in verse 16 that we are God's kids. And then in 17 he says, If we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs of God with Christ. You know what he's saying? He's saying when we become God's kids, Jesus is our big brother. We are co-heirs with Christ. We share the inheritance with Christ like a brother. You see that? And so when Jesus leaves out a true elder brother who's willing to go and rescue his younger brother at his own expense, Jesus is pointing to himself saying, look, guys, I'm here. The whole of the inheritance was mine and yet I left my throne in heaven to come to where you are. I came to the pigsty of your sin to lift you up, to clean you off, to pay your debts and to bring you home. Won't you come home? Jesus longs for us to believe him and come and share his inheritance. Our inheritance is our right to be in God's family, to dwell with him forever in heaven, to get to talk with him whenever we want. You can just pray right now. Jesus shared that with us at the cost of his own life. He didn't have to leave heaven. He could have stayed there. I mean, the elder brother and the prodigal son is sort of justified in his anger. Like he didn't have to go and rescue his younger brother. But that's what makes it mercy. Jesus didn't stay there. He came to us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our wasteful extravagance, our recklessness. So if you're a rebel, man, come home. Come home and receive the Father's mercy It's totally free to you because Jesus paid the price. And if you're a slave to your performance, man, come home. Come home and receive the Father's mercy. It's totally free for you. Jesus paid the price. We have a father who lavishes love upon us in wastefully extravagant fashion. And we have a true elder brother who delighted to pay the price of our mercy at great infinite expense to himself. Brothers and sisters, let's come back home. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for adopting us. You didn't have to love us. In your free will, you chose to to love us in wastefully extravagant fashion, even though We don't make your life any better. God, help us to surrender to this love, to believe it. God, I pray for this church. Man, we've been working so hard our whole lives to to earn our status. It's the culture we live in. Help us to surrender and Believe that our status is not who we are, but whose we are. We belong to you, Father. And if you're listening right now and, and you're willing, just pray, Father, I belong to you. Thank you so much for loving us, God, before we could ever do anything to earn it. And we love you too.